This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you are just tuning in, we encourage you to go back and listen from episode one. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Direct Appeal. I know when I saw my daughter. There was nothing in the car. My mother suggested Delaware, so that's what I did that morning. Of course, the cell phone records would have established that alibi. They somehow managed to get my husband's cell phone tower records and not mine. What they ended up getting was web browser history. Undetectable poison, how to commit murder, how to purchase guns illegally. Of course, it looks horrendous. One of the hardest things to do is is actually being able to put somebody physically at the keyboard. It could have been and still could be done. The searches around these problematic searches, a gambling website, Bill's retirement account, and the state's contention was with me. I had done that to cover my tracks, to look up things that I could have looked up in a book on my desk at work untraceably. This is Episode 9, Garbage Science. Okay, Amy, last time we ended on the damning internet searches on the McGuire's home computer. So this last piece of evidence relates to Melanie supposedly dismembering Bill's body and then wrapping his body up. So they found his body, you know, the body parts in garbage bags, wrapped in blankets in the suitcases that they retrieved from the Chesapeake Bay area. What had happened was at some point, Melanie had given away Bill's stuff. And I think we are definitely going to talk about that. But let's just say that she gave away some bags of his stuff. When was this? So she gave away his stuff pretty quickly. Maybe a couple weeks, maybe three or four weeks after he left. Because at that point... Well, what you let's argue it two ways. At that point, either she is getting rid of his shit because she's killed him and she knows it, yeah. or she's a woman scorned. F you. I'm burning your stuff in the lawn and giving yeah. it all away. She explains it that, she you know, screw him. He didn't come back for his stuff. I'm yeah. moving on with my life. I'm getting rid of it. So she gives it to a friend of hers. She gives it to their, um, a fr- her friend, it was Celine, I think, okay. her cousin. Okay. And she gives him a lot of clothes in all of these garbage bags. And through the course of their interviews and investigation, the police find find out that there are all these belongings that Melanie has given to this guy and they ask if they can have the bags. So now what the police have is the garbage bags that Bill's body was found in Mm -hmm. and garbage bags that came directly from Melanie's home. And what they're looking for is, are they a match? Are these the same bags? The prosecution is really excited about this. They think, you know, they're going to test it and, and they think that they are, um, are, they're going to be a match. So they retain. Is that a real science? I know you're going to get into it, but is this a form of real science to compare plastics here? Well, it is. I mean, there's tool mark analysis and there's also polymers, which are okay. plastics. So yeah, there's chemistry here. You could um, tell if it's from like the same lot or so to speak. Well, 
hold that question. Okay. Tell me what you think in the end. So okay. the prosecution retains the an expert by the name of Frank Ruiz. I'm, uh, I guess you'd say, a material scientist. I've worked in the plastics industry now for 39 years. I work primarily in product development and commercialization. I guess you could say I'm an inventor. I develop new products for the plastics industry and then help get them introduced and operating in the market. I was hired to help them analyze two specimens of trash bags that they had collected as evidence during the trial. They had bags that contained victims' parts, and then they had another group of bags that they had seized. They were asking me to compare the two, contrast the two, see if if they had any kind of a match to them. You know, they had seen that what I had done before. Basically, we had been able to show that the raw materials of bags were very similar, that, you know, there was a certain pattern of lines on the bags that could be matched together and the the composition of the bags and the style of the bags was identical so they asked me if i could do this same work for them so we we you know we applied several different types of tests to the bags to see how similar they were because we're doing scientific testing we're doing some analytical chemistry i know that sitting on a jury are not 12 analytical chemists So the first thing you have to do is give a very elementary lesson in analytical chemistry. So I was nervous about that because I had to be Professor Frank, and I'm not a professor like you. (laughs) But I was Professor Frank, explained what each of the tests was measuring, what was involved, and then just showed them samples of the the bag that the victim was in. And in this case, they they had found bags that appeared similar in in the suspect's residence. So Frank had testified previously at two other criminal trials, which I believe is how um, one of the investigators found him, and one of them was a I'm murder sorry, trial. I'm sorry, he was a prosecutor expert? He was for the prosecution, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. And he's just explaining that he had done some work in this area before. They contacted him. They wanted, they provided him with these specimens. They wanted to know, can you tell us whether or not these bags are a match? So he now has to run a bunch of tests on these bags. Okay. And so he's going to talk about um, the tests that he ran and the conclusions he came to. Well, there's first, you know, the physical testing that we do. We look at the the thickness and the size. We look at the seal design. In this case, they were formed from a single tube of plastic. These are flat bags. So that's the other thing. We look at the bag design. Is it a flat bag? Is it another type called a star seal? There's different designs. So you look at the seal. So you go, okay, how is the seal made the same? In this case, all the physical characteristics of the bags match. The next thing is you look at the film itself. If you hold up a trash bag, even the black ones that you get in the supermarket, they're thin enough so you can see through. And the first thing you will see on most trash bags uh, is, is a number of lines and stripes and a bunch of inhomogeneity. That's because a lot of these bags, they're using a lot of recycled plastic, which is good. But the problem is sometimes that recycled plastic has a problem mixing and dispersing with the virgin plastic. So you wind up with a series of lines and patterns in the film. The other thing that happens is, like I said, the plastic comes out of this ring-shaped die, a ring-shaped orifice. And over time, for lack of a better word, junk and burnt material builds up on those lips of that die, right is where the plastic comes out. Because the plastic hits the air, it tends to burn. And over time, the burnt plastic will build up along the lip of the die. And that will form lines. 
It's almost like rifling on a bullet. It's rifling in a way because if, if you can match bags, then they produce very close to each other because these patterns of lines won't change very quickly, but they will change over time as more and more material builds up. Like you get this pattern, but it changes. So if the pattern's very close, you could argue it's like these bags had to be made close to each other because over time, this pattern is only going to get worse. It's going to change as another lump builds up in the dye and starts to cause another defect. The changes can start to happen within 30 minutes. We went through the physical test and saw, okay, all these bags, they match. So it's worth going and start to doing the analytical testing because that gets more involved. So just briefly, because this is dense and it gets complicated, what he's saying is, you know, we're doing the, the visual test. Testing first. These are the physical tests. Do they look the same? Are there matching patterns? Um, next, what he's going to talk about, though, is more of the analytical test. And this is the chemical makeup of the bags. So, um, you know, are they made of the same thing? Just because they look the same doesn't mean they are actually made of the same thing. There are several tests we did. The first one is called differential scanning calorimetry. It basically works like this. Plastics, even polyethylene, have crystals in them. They have sugar crystals, except they're very tiny. And these crystal structures differ between plastics, and they can also differ on the way the film was blown. And this instrument, differential scanning calorimetry, or we call it DSC for short, it measures the flow of heat in and out of a sample. So you take the sample and you heat it and you heat it to its melting point and you will observe one or more peaks at several different temperatures. So it's like, okay, let's see if these have the same DSC melting point, which would be another indication they're using the same type of raw material. So we did that on all 10 bags and all 10 DSCs were a match. So they're all, you know, that indicated, that's one indication that they are all made from the same material. The other test we did is called infrared spectroscopy. And this is, you you do that test by shining a beam of infrared light through the sample and seeing where it absorbs the light. And they're measuring the number, not only the, the presence of these atoms or bonds between these atoms, but the relative frequency of them. So that's another thing we look at to see, okay, is it the same basic molecular structure, the same basic morphology, I guess, basic structures inside there because it's structure-related. It also tends, that technique will also pick up additives, various additives in the film, such as the additive they put in the film to make it feel slippery. So we ran this test, again, on all 10 bags, and all of these infrared scans came back the same. So it says, okay, not only is it the, the structure is the same, but the additive levels, whatever additives in there are also in the same levels. We did one more, what's called a what's called loss and ignition. This is where you take the sample and put it in an oven at 600 degrees Fahrenheit and burn off, literally just burn off the polyethylene. For a bag, there's always a certain amount of mineral left, material that won't burn. So they add calc, you know, it's a type of mineral, same thing they use for baby powder, except a different grade. They'll use uh, calcium carbonate, which is ground limestone, something they put in there to roughen the surface just slightly so that the bags don't, the film doesn't stick together and you can open the bag. We found that they all contain the same level of, of anti-block. That last test he refers to is um, also referred to as an ash test. All right, I have two major points here. Okay. My first one is this means nothing to me if we don't know how many other bags share that characteristic, mm-hmm. right? What if it's 
every bag that was shipped to the East Coast between the years of 2000 and 2004 would have matched. Great point. It means nothing to me, first Great of point. all. Second of all, with all due respect to the scientific field, what is the validity of the science? Using big words does not mean a science is valid. I think of junk science, bite mark analysis, fingerprint right. comparison. How many people have been wrongfully convicted on the basis of science that sounds really fancy, but at the end of the day, it's not valid. Well, I think you have to break it down by test. The first test that he was talking, the first set of tests, there's two different ones. Remember I said there's kind of like the observational yeah. ones about the the striations and the dye yeah. lines. I think that is, um, as I understand it from someone else, that's more of a subjective science. Oh, yeah, that's what it sounded so like. So that part, or it could possibly, from what I've learned, um, could be subjective. The second set of tests, though, that he's talking about, or... The second set of tests he's talking about, the analytical ones, mm -hmm. those are, I mean, there's definitely real science behind this. This is chemistry. This is what yeah. are the bags made of. Okay. And the tests that he talked about are very standard tests from what I understand okay. in making these determinations. However, that being said, he did three analytical tests, right? He said that he did um, uh, these hard words, right? The differential <laughs> yeah. scanning calorie calorimetry mm -hmm. test, which I have trouble with, the infrared spectroscopy. <laughs> I can't say it. Spectroscopy. I know what you mean. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah, yes, test. <laughs> Eventually, I'll get it right. Um, he said it right. I'm going to try it again. The infrared spectroscopy. Ha. Beautiful. And then the third one was the ASH test. So these are the three analytical tests that he does. And um, we just want to keep those on the mind because the prosecution has this expert, but the defense also has an expert who's going to address these tests yep. and her opinions about them as well. Do you know what would have also helped for me? What? If we just took a random black garbage bag out of someone's kitchen cabinet and compared it to the other two. Just like, I'm just curious how many bags share these Right. So we did. Um, James, oh. Well, James and I looked at some of the tests. But now. you can't do the analytic tests. No, but you were just saying for this on no, site. No, I'm saying if because they did right. all of those scientific tests. They looked at the one that had the victim's remains. Mm -hmm. They looked at the ones that had the clothes in it. Mm -hmm. But they didn't look at a third one, like almost like a control group. A control right? group. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's 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 true. Yeah. And one of the questions I asked him, did you hear me? You didn't really hear me ask him, but he yeah. said, well, no, that's not really a unique finding. Okay. He did say at one point, some of these findings aren't unique because these were black contractor bags. So they like would you all said, share that. They're okay. going to share a lot of them. One of the things he says is unique is that he could tell by the patterns that they came off the same production line and they were made very quickly within each other, like they were made within 30 minutes. Okay, well, that's different. That is different. But could he say that or not? Are we sure that that's the yeah, truth exactly. or not? Yeah, exactly. He might be. It's almost like serology mistakes when people will say only one in five million males can share this type of makeup. Right. And then it comes. It turns out it's, you know, the numbers are quite different. Um, right. Also, I'm wondering if being in the water would change the chemical makeup at all of garbage bags or... I don't know yeah. is the answer. Okay. It's a good question. I don't, but know, I don't know. know. Yeah. Okay. Um. I'm excited to hear what the defense says. Yeah, I mean, it would also probably help us if we had like a crash course in polymers. I yeah. I interviewed him for a while. I spoke with him um, and then I interviewed the defense expert. But before we get there, let's just hear what are his final conclusions? What is, you know, after doing all these tests and what does he actually conclude? Oh, 99%, 99 plus. I mean, you can never be totally certain of anything, but 99%. It's like going down a checklist. Does this match? Yes. Are they the same gauge? Yes. Are they the same design? Yes. Same seal design? Yes. Then in the end, and this is the argument in all cases, you can't say for sure. 
that this bag came out of the same box. But you can say, what are the odds are that it didn't? It comes down to a matter of odds, okay? I let the jury decide for themselves. What are the odds that Melanie McGuire and the real killer went and got bags from certainly the same pallet coming out of the bag supplier? And the real killer, how how did they get those same bags? Maybe it was somebody she worked with? You know, I guess the police exclude those. Well, if these are industrial institutional bags, like say someone in a restaurant committed a crime and they grabbed the bag. Suppose they didn't just pick one of the common ones. They picked the weird one. They picked one of, you know, the 44 by 56 and they use one of those. It's like, there are not too many people who make a 44, 56 and sell it in institutional market. It's, it, unless somebody, you know, else was able to get to that same pallet or maybe half a pallet of, of bags, who else could have had that? You have to be the judge as to whether someone else could have accessed those same bag from another facility and committed this crime. These bags were made, you know, within a few hours of each other, a maximum of several hours apart because of the dye pattern, the maximum, because it would have changed within a few hours. And that's his conclusion. Our right. match, 99.9% so, sure is what he said. Just to play devil's advocate, is it possible that since Bill packed up and left the house, that he brought some garbage bags with him or he had these garbage bags in his car, just like it's possible that someone turns his own gun on him? Amy loves to steal my thunder. I just want to say, oh, are we for the record, say that we just bought good minds think alike. I know. So one of the things I would bring up at the end would be: Is this all for nothing? Is this all a moot point? Melanie says we were moving. Mm-hmm. We got garbage bags. I had some in my car. We had some in the house, and Bill had some in his car. Oh, there you go. And I actually saw on a report. Um, somewhere that they did recover some garbage bags from Bill's car. And did they match these other garbage bags? We don't know. We should know. But so this is a great point. I mean, even if you accept all yeah. of this and whatnot, it's the same the same Bill argument not proving anything. about the gun, yeah. uh, right? Isn't it possible that great... Bill had, you know, suitcases in his car because he yeah. got, they got an argument. He stormed out. He's got the tr- contractor bags. He yeah. takes his gun yeah. and he's all heated up, right? He's riled up. He's pissed. He leaves. He goes somewhere mm-hmm. and perhaps he's in some type of altercation with someone. So, yeah. and someone uses his own stuff. His own, too, you right. know. Right. Wow. How convenient. This guy has. He already has garbage got, bags, a suitcase. He's got everything I need in the car. This is, this is terrific. So, including a sedative, right? <laughs> including a sedative. So, this is the prosecution's expert. Um, I'm going to say Frank is a good expert here. He has a, a lot of experience and he seems to have run, you know, the right tests. And let me also say that he explains things in a way that he takes difficult concepts and he makes them easier for people. So he's saying he played professor. I thought he mm-hmm. played professor well. Yeah. Even if there you're going, oh, this is a lot. When he explained it to me, I went, okay, I get this. Yeah. I get this. So that's mm-hmm. important for the jury. They mm-hmm. want to hear that someone, yeah. not, you know, when they get lost in the terminology, it's like, you know, their minds are wandering. But if they understand it in a simple way, mm-hmm. it's going to make a good impression on them. Yep. So now- Was he wearing a white coat also? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know if he had the doctor effect, okay. but um, or the lab coat effect, I yeah. should say. But so the defense. Now, do they have an expert offhand? No, they don't have an expert. Do they wind up having it or do they wind up with an expert? Yes, but... How does that happen? Mm, good question.
The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sally Ginter, and she would wind up as the defense expert. I have a bachelor's in chemistry from Albion College. Started work as a research chemist at Dow Chemical Company. I worked there for 31 years. During that time, I obtained 23 U.S. patents covering diverse polymers and applications. And in fact, in 1990, I was honored by the U.S. Patent and Trademarks Office for being one of the most prolific female inventors in corporate America. Quite by chance, turned on Court TV and saw that there was going to be a plastics expert, I thought, showing an analysis of the bags that the victim's bodies were found in versus comparing them to some clothing bags. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. It's, you know, technical. It's right up my line. I listened to what he said in the data that he had, and then he concluded that the bags were a match chemically, and not only that, that they must have been made on the same production line within, you know, hours of time. I sent an email to Melanie's lawyers just to tell them that these results that were presented by the state weren't valid and told him the problems because I hadn't, I've only saw the graphs, you know, on TV. You couldn't really get into it in depth. It was hard to pick it up on TV. I was merely going by the fact that you couldn't say that they were chemically the same when I called. But once I got the report and saw the report, I was astonished that his own data shows that the bags didn't match. Uh, For instance, um, the two sets of bags in the ASH test, which he said were essentially the same, there was a 39% difference in ASH between the victim bags and the clothing bags, so the victim bags having the most ASH in it. And so there was a huge difference. He said, well, this kind of variation would be typical in a production process, but... um, any process that had a 39% process variation in ash would be a process that was totally out of control. And the differential scanning calorimeter, all that is is the melting point of polyethylene. So that would be expected. So there's nothing unusual about that. Also on his infrared test, he said that the two curves from both sets of bags superimposed and they didn't. There was a difference in transmission uh, where they started and there were some additional peaks in the victim bags that were not in the clothing bags. And so they didn't match either. There's no way of knowing which linear low-density polyethylene was in the bag without measuring it, and he has no test that will calculate that. The one attorney called and came to meet me, and I think it was between 9 and 10 o'clock, and I went through 
my report with him. He was rather confused and said that he didn't know that he understood it well enough to be able to question based on this. So he wanted me to break it down into very, very simple terms. And because he said Ruiz's data was very simple and it was easy to understand and that mine was very complex and not easy to understand. And it was too technical for the jury. So he said, if you can come up with something by 7 o'clock tomorrow morning that is simpler for me to understand, I'll put you on the stand. Couldn't sleep that night, so I'm up most of the night simplifying it all out, writing out what questions that he needs to ask and explaining it in a very simple manner so that he could understand it. I wouldn't call it prepping me there. Most of it was just me trying to talk to him, to getting to understand it. Uh, I didn't get any prepping And then I was only allowed to testify based on this report and what I saw. And um, I was able to make recommendations on what I thought should have been done uh, to show whether they were a match or not, which I did. Whoa. Wow. This does a great job illustrating the issue of expert testimony. Absolutely. Because all it takes is someone with confidence that is likable and a jury believes him. I'm not saying whether I believe Frank or not. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's really, it's really unfortunate because a lot of people, I mean, people have been executed that are innocent over, you know, expert testimony. But there's also then, this comes up in appeal again, right? So, uh, you know, they want an expert for this, an expert. And the judge says, you know what, we've had the experts already. Yeah. So it's it's a great point, right? They want another expert. But at what point do you yeah. say, there's an expert on this side, this, take two, three, four, stack them. You could keep going. You yeah. can keep going on and on. But there are a lot of interesting points that come out of, sta- first of all, Sally was watching court TV at yeah, home. She has no incentive. She had a day off, right? <laughs> like she was at home for something. Very serendipitous, right? And it is completely. Yeah. She says, I'm literally, you know, thumbing through the channel, the remote, and I come across wow. court TV and they say, and you know, a polymer or a plastics yeah. expert. And she goes, oh, well, that's weird. Yeah. You know, so let me just listen because this is my area. Yeah. And, you know, According to her, she says, uh, she listened to the whole thing and then his his conclusion. And she said, no way. You couldn't have made this conclusion. So she contacted Steve Toronto. Good for her. That's not great. And she said, I mean, I would have asked Steve if he responded to our request for an interview, how many other people contacted him. Um, She said that Steve said, you know, we've gotten a number of phone calls. And I don't know you know, if what was to come of that. But according to Sally, this was like on a Friday. And I think it was... I think it was Easter weekend. Wow. Um, Steve said, can you write a report? And he needed the report in, um, I don't know if she says it, 48 hours. Yeah. Can you write a report about everything on Easter weekend? And by the way, Sally had told me that she was sick during this time as well. So I think she had, it was definitely like two days to write this report, have Easter and get better. Um, <laughs> so she does this. She and writes this report. And what was she getting out of it? What's, Nothing. You know, she was Nothing. just... She, she just saw science just, that wasn't being reported right, right and felt right. like she had to. Ha, she just felt like she had to intervene and she had to say something. And so, yeah, she's offered nothing for this. So That's she does. She, she writes a report. She sends it back after, you know, two days. And I, I, I don't know how quick the turnaround was, but he says, can you get here and testify? <laughs> and I think a day or two later, she was on a plane. And what she's describing is that night he came to her hotel and they sat down for half an hour. And he said, I don't, you know, according to Sally, I don't understand this. The jury won't understand this. If you can't simplify it, forget it. We won't even use you. So she's freaking out. She says, you know, I didn't get a wink of sleep. Um, and and Sally has a technical way about her, I have to say. So this, she's explained a couple of things to me and then went, all right, let me say this again. <laughs> 
And so it is the difference in her, you know, the difference between her and Ruiz as well yeah. is he's good at simplifying. He's better at simplifying things, mm-hmm. I think. And But in fairness, Sally's never testified before, ever. She's never been prepped. And as she says, and I wouldn't consider what, you know, talking to her about it, that's not a prep. Frank Ruiz was prepped. Yeah. I asked him about it and he was definitely prepped. Mm-hmm. So there's a real significant difference here um, in what Sally... And this was one of the prosecution's main points. Oh, yeah. This yeah. was huge. Yeah. Um, so Sally goes on the stand and, you know, the test that she's talking about, uh, she talked about, th- she commented on the three tests that he said that he ran. And what she said was for, let's see, the first test, the differential scanning calorimetry. She said that his findings were, um, th- since they were basically, uh, it, they would this would be expected for all the industrial institutional bags since it's governed by she said thermal properties of polyethylene. I think it's just standard industry yeah. practice. Um, so like I said, pull any garbage yep, bag yep. and it would be the same. Yeah, the infrared spectroscopy. Oh, look, I said it that yeah. time. Um, she said that, uh, Frank Ruiz said that the peaks were the same. And she said, actually, there were differences. They weren't extreme, but she said it wasn't accurate to say that they were exactly the same when they weren't. Uh, but the last test, which was this ash test we turned about the heating it and burning mm-hmm. it down. She says, if you look at his... Um, if you look at his results, you can see significant differences. So we did. Um, what they did too was they did ash tests on the the victim bags between those bags to see if there's any variance between the actual bags. And there's a little bit. So mm-hmm. what they found um, when they conducted the ash test just on the victim bags is that between each bag, there's probably two to five percent variation, two to six percent variation. But then they did the ash test between the victim bags and the bags that were recovered from, um, you know, Melanie and Bill's apartment. And they found between 22 and 39% difference. So he just chose not to report on that part? He said that there was a variation, but it was standard or expected or it wasn't that big. And she's saying, whoa, hold on. Um, And she made a chart here that I looked at. She's saying, this is not standard. This is huge. This shows those bags were different. Wow. And maybe we can post those charts on our website. We're definitely going to post the charts and the findings on our website. Um, So she's saying that the tests, not only are they not enough, but the ones that he did aren't actually supporting what his conclusions are. But the jury would not know that because they're just lay people. Well, she said it on the stand, but did she but say But I'm it? saying, had she not... Yeah, let me... I'll would. talk about her testimony okay. and the way she expressed it too in a little bit. So I also asked her, like, Sally, but what would be needed? How would we know? You know, you're saying this isn't enough. So what do we need? And so Sally explains what tests she thinks would be needed to absolutely conclude that the bags were a match. No, you could definitely not say that if they were chemically the same from the tests that he ran, it would be impossible. These generalized tests, which were basically just kind of quality control tests that you'd run on a bag manufacturing line, couldn't be used to tell if the bags were chemically the same and certainly could not be used to tell if they were produced on the same manufacturing line. The reason that I knew that was because Dow Chemical was one of the largest suppliers in the world, along with Exxon, of polyethylene and linear low-density density polyethylene that are used to make the bags. It happens that the linear low density polyethylene is chemically different if you have the Dow version or if you have the Exxon version. Both of them will process the same, but chemically they are different. In order to say that the bags were a match, there would be additional analytical tests that would be needed to determine. You would need to do 
um, nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy and mass spectrometry. And this would provide definitive results regarding the chemical match of the polymers used to manufacture the bags. Some additional tests would be needed to determine what additives were in the bags because these could also vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. And these tests would include liquid chromatography and gas chromatography. Later, when I was working with the appeal attorneys, they petitioned the state to get the bags so that we could analyze them chemically, and the state refused. The state would not allow it. He said that... My testimony was enough. I said that they didn't match. And so, you know, nothing more was needed. This is where the judge is limiting and saying, you know what, we've heard from both experts. um, He's done hearing about the plastics, it sounds like. The judge doesn't want to hear it anymore. Well, um, this was later on for the appeal. Uh, Sorry. So uh, later on in the appeal, um, the appellate judge is saying, look, you had two experts, like two leaders in the Mm -hmm. field. Um, What more needed to be done? But Melanie's defense was, even in the appeal, was no, 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 but the right tests weren't done. And she didn't know at the time during at the time of trial Sally didn't talk about the test that would have needed no, to she be did. done she did talk about the test that needed but to be done but they just didn't have time to do it at that point because it was well it was again it was after the tests had been done by the prosecution Sally is saying this is what's needed the the prosecutor Frank Ruiz is saying no that's not what's needed so you have two experts battling it out here Sally's saying, look, I'm sorry, but you cannot say these bags were a chemical match yeah. based on the test that he did. Um, the ones he did had some discrepancies and there were at least two more yeah. um, that she talks about uh, that you, at least two more tests that she said are absolutely needed to conclude these Maybe bags were a Maybe they need a tiebreaker expert. I know right. they don't want to talk to any more experts, but the well, thing the is- limited on the appeal. They I said, mean, forget it. The thing is, Frank is getting paid. Again, I'm not questioning his integrity. I but- understand. He's incentivized. Sally is not. I don't think that's a point we can gloss over. I don't think so either. No. And I don't think we can gloss over the fact, again, that Sally had no preparation. So I asked her about um, testifying a little bit. You know, what was it like? She said, well, God, I was nervous up there, of course. And um, she said that the prosecutor made her feel or tried to make, she, she felt like Patty tried to make her feel like she was small because she said, well, I'm sorry, where did you go to Albion College? Like some little... <laughs> and she only had a bachelor's, right? I know she had tons of years of experience. Right. So they... What did, did Frank have a PhD or... Um, Frank had... He um, must have had some he advanced He says it in degree. his qualifications. I'm pretty sure he has a master's, okay. actually. And I... I think it was, was he, did he go to MIT? I mean, okay, so. he went somewhere, you know, he has some, he has a pedigree to him. Um, but she did work at Dow Pharmaceuticals. Oh, for, yeah. yeah so. she, I mean, she's definitely, she's a leader. There's no doubt about it. They're both leaders. Yeah. But um, she said that, you know, she, she was made to feel small. She said what also flustered her was that um, when she was talking about these percentages, I think it was in relation to the ASH test, Patty asked her to make a quick calculation. And she said, I couldn't find my calculator. I fumbled. The judge <laughs> had to give me a calculator. And then when I actually did it, it, she said, I said, wait a second, that's wrong. And then she redid it. Oh. So she said, I think I looked bad. You know, she yeah. looked nervous. She was, I didn't know I was going to have to do some math calculation yeah. on the stand here. And um, it was actually a rather easy calculation, but she just wasn't prepared for it. So she was. Oh, that's why she's such a good prosecutor, right? That's part of. Yeah, <laughs> she's, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to go up against her right yeah. in, the, in the courtroom. So um, there is a second part to the plastics. Um, the state had a forensic scientist as well. His name was Tom Lesniak. And he had looked at some of uh, the forensic science in this case, which there was some, um, but not strong evidence. There was a dispute over whether or not he should be able to testify about the plastics because that wasn't his area. But I think the judge said, we're going to let him testify about tool marks 
mark analysis, uh, sorry, tool mark analysis mm-hmm. because he's qualified in this area. So he does what Sally calls the famous light box experiment. When I went out to testify, I had no idea or no opinion whatsoever about Melanie McGuire's guilt or innocence. Uh, after I came back, a lot of the evidence and testimony was on court TV. So I went through and when I did that, I saw that Thomas Lesniak had done an experiment. They called it a light box experiment where he held up garbage bags to show what he called the striations, and he called them the manufacturing characteristics of the bag. And that's, you know, certainly not a standard test with a light box. You know, in terms of the herringbone pattern characteristics that he talked about, it's typical of um, reprocessed linear low-density polyethylene, and you'd see that on most all industrial and institutional bags. So that finding is not unusual. So he held up this bag, and there was a picture of him in the light shining through the bag. Well, the bags that were the clothing bags were Husky contractor cleanup bags. They're three mil bags. They're very, very thick bags. And I thought, well, this doesn't make sense. If he's showing that those are the same, you can't see through a three mil bag. And I actually ended up doing the experiment myself and sending it to the appeals lawyers to show them that, that you can't see through that. But the bag that he used, according to the court TV website, site, he said that it was a lawn and leaf bag. Well, lawn and leaf bags are quite thin bags. They're usually just a little over a mil, and you can see through those. So the fact that this bag was put up there trying to show these striations that they're talking about was really a a charade. And I also think that there was huge prosecutorial misconduct. It was blatant and deliberate. Bags don't match. Okay, well, they can take Reese's word for them, I guess, that they match, but we're not sure that they were the same size. And there was also in the discovery material, there was a meeting where they were discussing the fact that the bags weren't the same size, but then they carefully don't put what size was a discrepancy in there. So there's just enough in there to make you know that they knew. And then they kept checking all those different bag companies trying to come up with a fit. So they just conjured up a case that the bags matched. And they had someone like Louise that was willing to say that. And I really believe... Hopefully that there'll be some justice to this someday. Uh, I think if they'd have got a bag expert soon enough, somebody could have done a really, really good proper job up front. And rather than, you know, me showing up at the last minute just by chance, it was just a terrible job of defending her by the defense. Wow. Prosecutorial misconduct and poor defense. Sally says wow. it. <laughs> she says what she thinks. <laughs> she believes it. Um, <laughs> she She's out there saying, look, she thinks that there were some, she thinks there was intentionally mm-hmm. um, misleading statements, mm-hmm. questions, demonstrations. So this light box experiment that she, she describes, you know, um, Lesniak holds up this light box in the garbage bag. So, you know, anyone can do this. It so makes a spectacle, says, I'm sure. Like she said, a charade, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, juries love. Yeah. They want to see something, and, right? Yeah. They they like the entertainment. It's like the CSI effect that we talk about in our classes, right? Yep. Um, but if you actually look at these bags, as Sally did, like if you look at the contractor bag, if you put it up to the light. Yeah, and we and did. We did. Yeah. 
You can barely see through that. You can't at all. You, you really yeah. can't. I mean, you really just can't. But when we looked at the lawn and leaf bag that was much thinner, yep. you can see the light through it. You can. So Sally's saying, you know, this is kind of one of those uh, junk science. It sounds like grounds for appeal to me, but it's clearly not. I think it does as well. Um, but this is also probably the third point that does to me, but... Okay. The um, appellate court obviously is smarter than I am, though. So if they don't think so. Well, is that, I mean, they're, they're one step in the checks and balance system yeah. that we talk about. But aren't we, again, it's up to us to also hold the justice system yeah. accountable. And over right. there has to be oversight, you know, just because they don't want to hear it yep. doesn't mean that it was right. It means that they don't think it's worth hearing. So, in comparison to other cases as well, right? Of course. And I think I have one final point about the garbage bags. As I, I mean, I could go on and on about these. Yeah, I'm I'm Um, getting over it. Yeah, no, I understand. (laughs) I see. Um, But one thing I want to say is that it seems whenever I reviewed the transcript, the garbage bags, the number of garbage bags tested changes. Oh. So, okay. Um, Actually, what what I think is, what I think I found is that some of the garbage bags recovered from the suitcases are missing. So how many were there? So let me I thought there was only let me three. Just read, let me read what, okay. So the Virginia Forensics Lab logged in a total of nine bags from three suitcases. Virginia analyzed two of the bags for fingerprints and notes the presence of a moist film on the bags from the suitcases recovered on May 5th, 2004. New Jersey Forensics Lab logged a receipt of seven bags from Virginia, Missing are suddenly those two bags that were analyzed for fingerprints. And this is part of, um, this is bait stamped, so it's part of the exhibits. Mm -hmm. Thomas Lesniak testified that eight victim bags were recovered. Detective Jeffrey Noble stated in his investigation report that six bags were recovered. What? I have one, two, three, four, five different areas where all the numbers of bags are different. I'm not sure what to say about this. If we can't get the number of bags straight... I have serious concerns about the actual investigation. I Um, agree. But this is what I found. I mean, this is all in the transcript. Whether or not this is an oversight, mistakes made. Again, though, I don't like if it's a mistake. I don't like it either. It strikes me. Someone's life is on the line here. It strikes me as a a sloppy mistake. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I promise you that isn't on the plastics. (laughs) But there's still one more point about the suitcases and the body. So the plastics was huge, huge, huge. But there were also found um, Bill's body uh, parts were also wrapped in plastics and in blankets. So they were HCSC blankets. um, And these were, I guess, blankets that were distributed to a lot of different medical providers. So I, I actually did look them up and it looked like they were a major blanket distributor and they worked with many medical practices in New Jersey. Um, But they Definitely distributed. So mm-hmm. these blankets um, were definitely RMA, Reproductive Medical Associates, where Melanie worked. Mm-hmm. They were a client. Um, and they how had, many other clients did they have? Yeah, they though? had someone testify about the blankets. A gentleman who worked for a company called HCSC. They're one of the largest distributors of linens for healthcare. And the gentleman was presented with the blanket that was found with Bill's body and said, basically, like, is this one of yours? He said that, you know, RMA was a client, so was the hospital across the street. So are, I think, in the tri-state area, they had something like over 100 clients or on the eastern seaboard, I think, like 500 clients. But anyway, we were able to elicit on 
across that they're not tracked, you know, and the state presented a pair of HCSC scrubs that they had taken from my room at my parents' house. Like, okay, well, here you go. Clearly, this is HCSC stuff. The assumption they want the jury to make at that point is, well, if these scrubs are theirs, the blanket must be theirs as well. What they failed really, I think, to hammer home for the jury is that it was Bill's job to travel to over 100 different healthcare sites in the state of New Jersey. So there are ways that he has of coming into contact with stuff like this, even if they weren't RMA. You know, they could have been essentially from anywhere. I don't even have a hard time saying that they may very well have come from RMA because, again, I had removed a few of those to wrap the granite inlays of our furniture in. So I always just kind of went with the idea that, yeah, it's ours. Again, there's context. Even when the state put one of my coworkers on the stand, a young lady by the name of Lori Thomas, who had purchased some of my furniture, and of course the young lady they were trying to elicit, you know, smelled like a morgue. I think even she mentioned that she grabbed blankets from work to wrap the furniture in, and they they shut that that shit down pretty quickly. So what was Bill's job? So he worked for New Jersey Institute of Technology, but he was also working, um, oh God, New Jersey Department of Health. He was working for- I don't think I knew that. He had two jobs at one point. He did have approval, as I understand it, because one was grant funded. um, But so he did come in contact with medical providers as well. I think I'm going to say the blankets probably came from RMA. But again, just like the garbage bags, just like the suitcases, if they're in the house, if they're in the car, I don't think, I don't think she's that stupid. Why are you going to kill your husband and wrap him in blankets from your place of work? I think it's the same point that we've been making over and over again. Uh, Yeah, it's possible, you know, again. How many blankets? Was there one in each suitcase or several? I don't know how many blankets there were, you know, uh, but but the jury is getting this picture now. Clearly, oh, those are her blankets, the plastic bags from the house. Yeah. This is all building a really bad, um, you know, a really bad story, a really bad picture. Mm -hmm. Um, There was something else I forgot to read. And this is another request for audience help. When we were talking about the plastics, Sally was doing some research on it. You know, she became involved, obviously, afterwards. She helped with the appeal. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had found something on a blog, okay, a posting by someone who we tried to find. James and I tried to find him and we couldn't. So if you are this person or if you know who this person is, we would certainly appreciate your help. So um, on July 16th, 2007 at 11.24 a.m., Russ Ferreira posts the following. We worked on this case from the perspective of chemical analysis of the plastic bags and determined that the evidence presented by the state was inconclusive. I'm a graduate of MIT and we provided data on the melting point and mass spec composition, which could be used to at least conclusively state that from a chemical analysis, one could not absolutely conclude that the plastic was from the same batch. So I don't know who he is. Again, we would love to hear from him. And I would like to know who asked him to do those tests. Yeah. Was that the state? Did they ask him or was this, you know, was this independent? Was it an investigator? Um, So if you are Russ Ferreira (laughs) or if you know who Russ Ferreira is, please contact us. We would love to hear from you. All right. Let's wrap on that today. Next time on Direct Appeal, the defense begins their case. They call Bill's ex-wife as a witness. Does she help Melanie's case? Also, the defense calls a critical witness who claims to have had a conversation about a gun with the victim, Bill McGuire.
Direct Appeal is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga. The story arc was written by Megan Sachs. Music and underscore by Dessert Media. Recorded, mixed, and edited by Justin Kral at JC Studios. Special thanks to Alan Tuckerman, whose work was integral to this production. If you have a tip, you can submit through our website or by emailing tips at directappealpodcast.com.